It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on TogiNet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget. Good afternoon or whatever time it is for you when you're listening to this. <clears throat> Today what I'm going to talk about is some things from online. And one of them, I read this and I was like, seriously? I think there's something else going on with this. There's a 23-year-old man in the UK, United Kingdom, who is claiming that the prescription of painkiller that he has from, he broke his foot for chronic pain, has turned him gay. Well, I would have to say, I don't believe that. Um, he did note in the article, I happen to be reading this on dailymail.uk, and he did make a comment that when he was younger, he was, you know, tended to be, you know, much more um, adventuresome. Now, this, you know, he had previously been with um, a female partner, and then a couple of weeks after he started taking, um, there, there it was also known as Lyrica, but it's called Pregabalin. And it's something that is used for chronic pain, but it's also for people who are anxious or who have, you know, anxiety disorder. And so what I think is actually happening here, and his comment was, you know, it, if anyone, you know, it's used to control paranoia and anxiety, and it's made me so open and not bothered what people think or say. I'd been taking it for a few weeks, and then I came to the realization that when I take it, I want males. And what I think is going on here is that he, when you're dealing with chronic pain, it is one of the things that just, it, it wipes out just about everything in your world. And now that he's taking this, you know, he lost his libido for women. But I think what has happened is that he's, you know, actually bisexual and attracted to women at some points and attracted to males at others. But would it turn someone gay? No. Here's the deal. If you are bi-curious is the term some people would use, if you are interested in experimenting or trying things, that's very common. And, but finding who, you know, what is your, your turn on? What is, what are you attracted to? What do you like? And for him, you know, he said that, you know, it is a, it doesn't make him angry. As a matter of fact, he just, he makes him feel much more open 
And, you know, as he had said, he doesn't really care what the, uh, the end result is. He's, he's just happy he can be, you know, who he is. I will say that there are times when I hear people using certain things as an excuse to, how can I put this, not be who, um, not take the responsibility of that it's actually their, um, their own libido making that choice. As an example, I will use when I volunteered on the AIDS ward here in Los Angeles, there were times when the patients would come in and they often would come in actually in through the ER. They'd come in for something, you know, a respiratory something, and then they'd find out, you know, they, they would be diagnosed that day and be told that they had HIV. And when I was first volunteering, I was in the first volunteer group, um, that was like a death sentence because they really did not have the um, antiretroviral drugs that they do now. Anyway, many times these, some of these men in particular uh, weren't out to their family and their family did not know that they were gay. Um, sometimes there would be someone who would come in and it was because of IV drug use, um, but that wasn't really what the population was where Cedar sinai was because that's West Hollywood area, you know, Boys Town. Anyway, sometimes in order to, to not have their family who live in the Midwest or elsewhere or wherever know that they were gay, they would have a fake girlfriend with them. And the parents would be in absolute shock. You know, first their son is, you know, uh, sick. He is HIV and they have no clue how he got it. And often they would come up with, they would concoct a story and say they got it from a woman who was, you know, giving them oral sex. Uh, not bloody likely, okay? But this is, um, to me, what this guy is talking about is that he is actually probably naturally, you know, bisexual. And really what bisexual means, it doesn't mean, you know, that you have to necessarily say that you're one or the other, but for people who are bisexual, they will often just, they will not say that they are bisexual because then people will say, oh, you just want to hit it with everybody. And that's not the case. For those people I know who are, they will often say that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in a straight relationship because they don't want to have to go through the explaining of, you know, well, my partner, my current partner is female or they just, they just want people to like leave them alone and not ask really prying questions. And quite frankly, it really isn't anyone else's, you know, business on what someone's doing. But so I think what happens here with Mr. What was his name again? Mr. Scott, I think. One second here. Let me find him. Scott. Yes. Scott Purdy, 23. Um, I think what is happening here is the pain's under control. He was at, makes him feel like he can be very open and, very relaxed. And he also said, it's, you know, something that I, he's already, you know, has, uh, a bloke who's going to be coming to, uh, up to see him from London. He was on plenty of fish and, you know, he's, he's looking at it as, Hey, it, this is sort of like a new adventure. There it is. Have at it. 
What I'm also going to talk about today are a couple of letters that I got on my website. And I'll go into those when we go into um, the next session. But I also wanted someone asked me, what is the future? What do I see is the future of marriage? And I, you know, have, I'm not, I, I'm someone who, if someone, you know, wants to be married, that's, that's their business. I, I think that many times people aren't being as honest about being married as they should be. And let's look at it from this standpoint. You'd get, in order to drive a car, you have to have a driver's license. And you have to have a test and you have to pass it and you have to know some things about it. But we do not do that for people going into marriages or weddings. I will say, though, that in speaking with colleagues of mine who are therapists, they have said that they have had, you know, younger and younger people coming into their practice who want to have, you know, joint marriage counseling before they get married because they do not want to end up having the type of relationship that their parents did. And touche for that, uh, because I know one of the things that will often happen is people will say, oh, I'm, I, really want to, I really want to be a partner, when what they really want to be is a parent. But they can't do the parenting thing by themselves. And so when I look at what the future of marriage is, I do think there, sh there needs to be more, um, it should be made a little harder to get into. And, you know, they should do a, or maybe even have trials of marriage so that at the end of five years or the end of three years or whatever, that you actually do a review that's a supportive review for both partners. I mean, what people have to realize is that marriage is a contract. And it is a contract to set up the transfer of assets within a family line, whether that's title, money, property, you name it. That is what it is. That's why people had to be considered to be from within the, you know, the marriage, conceived within the marriage. But what I'm looking at now is a real change in how people are approaching marriage. They are taking a little longer to get into it. They might date for or live together for a period of time. And what will happen for some is as soon as they decide they're going to get married, then the person goes from being, you know, the fun boyfriend or the fun girlfriend to, oh, well, now you have to act like my father or you have to act like my mother. And, you know, no, we're not going to be going out to the clubs and doing other things that we did when you were the fun girlfriend which, you know, the girlfriend slash fiance is kind of like, hey, what's with this, you know, what's with this change? And we also see that there's, when people start to consider going into marriage, the, one of the first things they think of is, okay, if we have children, then what are we, how are we going to be raising these children? And for me, that was always the, I was never someone who dreamt about a wedding. Ever. I never dreamt about a wedding. I never dreamt about a wedding dress. I never dreamt about an engagement ring. Never. And I didn't even plan my own wedding. My twin sister and my friend Brian did. I did, I did nothing. And you know, I was the most non-bride bride. But 
And we're coming up to our, you know, first break here. And when I come back, I'm going to talk more about future of marriage and what I think the future of family is going to be looking at, looking, looking like. <clears throat> because one of the things that we've got now, bit of a downer, but we have the sickest generation of children ever. And that is a major strain on most relationships. One in three, or is it one in three marriages where there's an autistic child end in divorce. So stay with me and I'll give you my take on future of marriage and the future of family. I'll be back after these tunes. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet with your host, Lou Padgett. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. that many prospective college students work under the management of handlers. A tutor helps with SAT preparation while a consultant concocts the perfect resume to present to colleges. They say the closest people ever come to perfection is on their resume. But college admission staffs aren't so bubbleable. That means gullible when it comes to sorting out students' qualifications. What's another word for a person with enough education to go to college? A tancom. The graduation cap was initially a hood and is believed to date back to the Celtic times when druid priests wore capes and hoods to symbolize their intelligence. It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Be it Christmas cookies, turkey, eggnog, or pecan pie, the holidays are full of delicious food. Food shows up in places that it never does during the year, whether it's at the office, on your doorstep, or the feast on your dining room table. It's hard to resist the temptation of eating all the time, from Thanksgiving to New Year's. But food does not have to be the focus of the season. Even though there's good food all around us, I concentrate on teaching my children that the heart of the holidays is not the food, but everything that the season stands for. The focal point needs to be the reason for the season and being with the people that you love. If you've gotten off track and think that food is the center of the holidays, it's time to change your focus and center in on the right reason that we celebrate. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. As I said before the break, I'm going to be covering <clears throat> letters from my website in this section. But first, I want to just wrap up what I had talked about. And here's the thing. I'm responding to these things. No one answers my mail for me. I'm the only one. Um, but to go back to 
you know, the future of family and the future of marriage. We have a crisis right now in this country with fertility. And there's a whole, there's a, uh, like a, an orchestra, a symphony of why there are problems. From vaccines, the, the adjuvant components of vaccines, which we know cause sterility in mammal studies. The EMFs, the electronic magnetic frequencies. Think, look at all these kids that are sitting there with laptops doing their homework, you know, and little kids too with their iPads and everything. And they're sitting right just above their gonads. Well, what do you think some of the most rapidly dividing tissue in a young person's body is? It's the germ cells. It would be, you know, the testes creating the sperm and the ovaries that are creating the ova. And that's where these, you know, the little iPads are sitting. So they're like literally irradiating their entire reproductive system. The, the food that they're eating with products in it that, that cause inflammation. Listen, every single disease initially starts out as from some form of inflammation. And just to be clear, for those, I have a hard sciences background. And when we talk about, you know, uh, the, the epidemic of cancer, this thing about having, you know, a war on cancer, it couldn't be further from the truth. And actually... There was, um, I don't know, I'm trying to remember, it was a, uh, one of the major investment houses literally just came forward and said, curing disease is not good for our business model. Thank you. You're darn right it isn't. They have cures for cancer. So what I think we're going to see in future marriages, future relationships, future families, one of the big one of the biggest foci will be about health, sexual health, general health, because without, your, without good health, you are not going to be able to reproduce. And it's really good for the IVF, you know, groups. But th what do they have, like a 27%, 30%, you know, um, rate of success, even if, if that, and it's super expensive? But when I look at what is coming forward, I think we're going to see a lot more natural treatments for people. I think we're going to see more cannabis being used, the non-active, you know, the non-psychoactive, which works phenomenally for, you know, people who have, for anxiety or convulsions, the, the CBD. And as soon as you heat it, that's when you get the issue. As soon as it's heated, that's when it goes into um, a psychoactive phase uh, for, uh, for cannabis. But I also think we're seeing, we're going to see people, they are no longer wanting to have um, crap put into their food. They are wanting to have cleaner food. Um, and now we have, it's more expensive, but people who you can actually go to a healthy restaurant and they'll tell you they've got no GMOs in it. They've got, they haven't used anything that's had herbicides or pesticides. It's organic. And I think that is where we're going to see the, the future of families, a focus on health and a focus on how are we going to keep ourselves healthy?
I see blended names regularly. Um, I think that, I mean, just as an example in Future of Marriage, Miss America from, I think, 2005 just married her girlfriend. So she was married before, had a son, and now she said, that's it. I'm going to marry who I love. And I think we're going to see more of those. And I think we're also going to see fewer marriages. Honestly, I think that is where where we are headed. For some people in some cultures, it's, you know, it's kind of like mandatory that you must. But for a lot of people, they have the, the number one household. And this is from years ago. This is probably like 30 years ago. The number one household in America were single adults living together, people of opposite sex, they call them possible cues, people of opposite sex living together, not married. And that's a lot of households, okay? So anyways, for the people, I think we're gonna have to deal with a real bump in fertility issues for people. And we're gonna have to find new ways to, you know, for people to be able to create family. I mean, we've seen a lot more um, gay couples, uh, particularly male gay couples, use surrogates to have their children because they want to have family. They want to have, you know, they want that unit to to create. So, oops, here we go. Just almost dropped stuff all over the place. Um, oh, one other thing about the, the gentleman from the UK. Um, one of the n- main side effects of a lot of painkillers is loss of libido. But for him, he felt it just, you know, opened things up for him so that he was actually even more, you know, felt more expanded. Here is something I'm going to talk about now. This is a letter that I literally just got. And um, hello, Lou, here's my scenario. I am a Christian male over 40 years old. I have been abstinent for about 15 years. Before I was a Christian, I did have sex, but I never really had control of my ejaculation, especially on the first go-round. The second time around, I was able to be more in control. I seem to have an extremely sensitive penis, underside and frenulum. I would like to to be married, but I have extreme anxiety about having sex again, especially at my age and after having been abstinent for so long. So, you know, when I, uh, the opening of my thing says, if you have a question about something, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Especially at my age and after being abstinent for so long. I would like to learn to control my ejaculation before moving into marriage, especially on the first time around, regardless of the speed that she needs or the position that she needs. In the past, I've had a little success in the missionary position but going real slow, but the whole time I felt like I was fighting my body and did not enjoy the experience. If she is on top or any other position, then I am done. And the reason is the person who's on top is the one who controls the motion. And he says, I have tried to practice with training the PC muscle, but using hand training is just not something that I want to do anymore. I also don't think that I've isolated this PC muscle. I'm not looking at porn anymore since I have become a Christian. I don't know where to start to be able to overcome this, and I know that it is contributing to my delay in looking for a wife. 
please let me know if there's something that I can do to lose the anxiety and conquer this before I have sex again in marriage, or am I destined to deal with this embarrassment in the early stages of marriage? If so, once I have a partner, how do I overcome this? So, and this is sent from someone whose initial I will not say. So here's my response back. The thing about having been abstinent for 15 years, um, the important thing about this for him is that he obviously wants to have sex only within the confines of marriage. And, but his sensitivity is something that was there long before he, you know, became a Christian. Now for some men, the, so he's not, he's not going to masturbate and do hand training. He's that's, that's not in the cards for him because that is one thing that could be suggested. Um, and it's a, it's a squeeze technique that is done right on that most sensitive area. And it's a hard squeeze that will slow down. But what he also has, in addition to being sensitive, which is a good thing, is that he's extremely anxious. And that is contributing to a lot. And I know men who have literally gone on antidepressants in order to reduce their sensitivity and to, you know, part of the anxiety. But I, you know, I'm not someone, I would not recommend that. What I might suggest is that he has a session with a trained sex um, physician who understands about sexuality because the majority of them do not. And there are things that I will tell him about when it comes to, you know, the PC muscle and he doesn't think that he's isolated it, but that's, that's a pretty simple thing. It's if, you know, he is can control the flow of urine. That is the thing that will, that's the PC muscle at work. And it runs from the front to the back of the pelvic girdle, like a little hammock and men have two holes in it, one for the urethra and one for the anus. But what I want to do for this man, and we're coming up to our, our second break here, and I'm going to go into more detail for him. The big thing is his anxiousness. And that is, that just puts, because let's be serious here. Your most powerful sexual organ is between your ears. And if he has anxiety and is like, just like a mess when he thinks that he's going to be being sexual. And I will bet I have another answer for this. I will bet that this his being very quick to ejaculate is one of the things that sent him into looking for something such as the religion. Now, when I come back, I'll continue with my sex anxiety and ejaculation control. And here come the tunes. Sex Talk 
Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Welcome to TogiNet, cutting-edge radio. This is the TogiNet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Everyone knows you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. But who wants to catch a fly? Flies are squick and repulsive. Flies have two wings, while all other insects have four. And they beat their wings 200 times per second. That's faster than a hummingbird. Flies jump up and backwards when taking off with an average speed of 5 miles per hour. What's the word for that annoying buzzing sound flies make? Fretinancy. Pestologists tell us that flies' favorite color is red. Flies have canisophobia. That's the fear of movement. So simply hang a plastic bag filled with water to keep the flies away. My only question would be, would a fly without wings be called a what? It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. So now we are, we are still dealing with this man who is over 40, Christian male, abstinent for 15 years. And I will bet you that one of the reasons he went into um, and is a you know, very devout Christian really is tied in with his rapid ejaculation. So here, let's, let's look at it from a different standpoint here. Each person has their own orgasmic cycle or orgasmic way of, you know, how their body responds. Some people are naturally very quick. Some people take a really, really long time. And invariably, for the people I know for the women who say, geez, I cannot get him to come. And I just, you know, it's, I just get so sore. Um, or their partner says, I, you know, there's nothing I can do that, um, to have him ejaculate. It's often because of someone who is taking medications that are making them be, um, much less sensitive, or they have had a lifetime of very intense masturbation where nothing could possibly mimic the strength and rapidity of their own hand. So someone else trying to do it with their mouth at their hand or whatever, the person has trained themselves that they know what they need and there's not much else that can do it. Now for this gentleman, I would probably recommend that he, I mean, cannabis is something that can be used in for um, sexual Health. I mean, there's different types that there's a website called Canna Sexual, C-A-N-N-A Sexual.com. And if he was, you know, comfortable with that, um, he could get a prescription depending on 
where he lived and try that. But then again, he wants to only have sex in a marriage. So he's kind of put himself between a rock and a hard spot here. It's going to be tough for him to learn and he also does not want to masturbate. So the, the, the things that I would recommend would be, you know, masturbating and stopping just before the, you know, point of inevitability and clamping down with the PC muscle. If he, if he can control the flow of urine, that's his PC muscle. And he can, you know, practice, um, if he has an erection, he can practice bouncing it up and down. Again, that's the PC muscle. But he's got himself in, you know, this is what he wants to do, but it's almost like he's got one foot nailed in the center of the floor and he's just going around in a circle. He's sort of like making motions here. And I had another gentleman who I was shooting a show with and he was going to be talking to all of the single people. And it was a um, show that I did for uh, the, um, uh, what do they call it? The Pre Preachers of LA. And they are all you know, very strongly faith-based. And this guy was 50 year, he was a 50 year old virgin. And my first thought was, how relatable is this white 50 year old guy to this black congregation that's, you know, mid twenties, mid thirties, but his thing. And, and I think the thing that is causing the issue for him is he's, he's just gotten himself so anxious about it and his whole future is tied to it. And he's worried that he won't be able to, you know, satisfy. Here's one thing. Most men are quick on the first time. And then the second time, there is a drop of sensation, so they do have more control. So that's one of the things I will let him know. But the other thing is, if there's another position that it's, if she's on top or something else, he doesn't stand a chance because they're controlling the motion. So I'm going to try and give him direction that if he can find someone who can do a, an online session with him, or, oh dear, where are we going? Okay. Um, uh, Roy, were you talking to me? Sorry, I was, I just heard something. Uh, so what I want for this guy is for him to be able to have what he wants. He may also um, be able to tell, you know, a, a potential partner that, you know, he's, you know, very sensitive, but he wants to, maintain, you know, his commitment to his, you know, his faith-based ideas um, and that he may be very quick, but, you know, be upfront about this. And because for some women, they're really happy if a guy doesn't take very long. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a good thing. But if he knows that he, you know, is so turned on by this person and so excited then he's likely, first time, it may, you know, go off very quickly. But the second time, he likely will have more control. Here's another thing. He could use cannabis because it, it, the CBD can be used for anxiety. And um, Ashley Manta, who, who created Canisexual, she uses it for um, exactly that same reason because uh, she'd had some 
trauma. And it was one of the things, it's one of the only things that allows her to be able to go back into her body. I would not recommend numbing creams. Uh, they are, first off, if they're numbing him, they're going to numb her, right? So if he puts something on his penis and then he's rubbing up against where her clitoris is, that's going to go, it's going to numb her. Really defeats the purpose. Um, but I do, when I read something like this, I, I just feel like he's been told so many things that, and now, you know, he obviously, you know, was started being abstinent when he was around 25 years old. And that is, you know, this is something where I don't even, if he's not even dating, um, see, I, this, this, this guy has a lot of work that he needs to do for himself. So that's my first letter for this one for this week. The next one is <clears throat> someone who was asking me for advice and people will often ask me this. I'm going to be speaking tomorrow actually down in Redondo beach to a group of women who are, uh, they're all in real estate, um, escrow officers, realtors, other things. And the panel, we're being put together to uh, talk about what our successes are, what we've done, what we haven't done. And <clears throat> so I'm often asked this question about how do I get myself into the area of sexuality? So this is a, a young woman who said, I graduated, uh, happened on your site not long ago and really admire what you do. Graduated from college a few months ago and I struggled with finding a decent job. My degree is in communication, so it's not hard to imagine why I'm in this situation. I initially had aspirations of working in PR or marketing in the film industry, and my ultimate dream was being a film critic. Nowadays, I don't know if it's a combination of the hashtag MeToo movement, burnout from writing reviews, depression, or just plain growing up. That sort of profession doesn't appeal to me anymore, and I realize too late that maybe I made the wrong choice with that degree. There's never a wrong choice with a degree, okay? After some careful introspection, however, I realized I'm also passionate about sex. And here we go again. I grew up in a conservative Christian home and sex was never openly discussed. And when it was, it was very God-centric and perfunctory. Even in school, sex ed was equally as awkward. It wasn't until senior year I realized that everything I thought I knew about sex was a lie and that it was down the rabbit hole from there. I wrote my term paper in high school English arguing against abstinence-only education, as well as my pervasive, per, persuasive speech for public speaking at university. It wasn't until last week that I honestly considered a career in human sexuality, especially, and not to get too political, now that Trump is president here and he's giving the religious right some serious momentum. I feel like I owe it to people to tell them the truth and combat all that stigma and fear mongering and see what's, that sex is just a natural part of life, nothing to be ashamed of. Here's the question. What do you suggest are some steps, first steps, in pursuing a career in something like sex ed or sex therapy? Obviously, I'd have to go to grad school at some point, but is there a way I can get my foot in the door or test the water somehow? What got you first got you into this field? What were your first steps? <clears throat> Excuse me. Also, this seems like a silly question to ask, 
But despite my fascination with sexuality and sexual health, I am a virgin myself. Is that hypocritical or bad? I'm definitely not still a virgin by choice. I guess it's just not my time yet. I sincerely thank you for taking the time to read my ramblings. I hope you have a good day. So here's the first thing that I would say to her. No, she probably did not make the wrong choice with the degree because anytime you have a degree, that's a door opener, period. And but the, the sentence where she's talking about the conservative Christian home, that is where the problems start. And abstinence only, we know that abstinence only programs, schools and students have the highest unintended pregnancies and STIs of any group. And the main reason is because when they are first, um, even if they, you know, if they have any preparation or they have any type of, you know, condom or they have anything that's a form of protection, then, you know, shame on them. They are, you know, they're going to get a, a bolt from above that's going to fry them. And in all actuality, that's one of the reasons why, you know, look, if I'm, if I'm going to be betting, which I don't bet, but if I were betting on mother nature and the sex drive she puts into teenagers and young adults, or someone saying, no, don't do it. I'm not going to bet on no, don't do it. I'm not stupid. I know how incredibly powerful the attraction and the sex drive is, particularly when you're first learning about it. So we know that the abstinence only is, I mean, it's a disaster when it comes to giving them information that prepares them for sexual health and prepares them for a healthy sexual relationship. And as she said, everything I learned, you know, senior year, I realized I learned about sex was a lie, probably was. So I would have my suggestions for her. Um, I will be giving my suggestions for her when we come back uh, from our final break. But <clears throat> what she needs, there's a whole range of things that she can try and one of them, you know, most importantly, I would say is here we come. We're coming up to our, our tunes and I will be back after <clears throat> the tunes with my final answers for interested in career in sexuality. And here come the tunes. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. Welcome to Toginet, cutting-edge radio. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many men and women drink diet sodas almost on a daily basis because they have zero calories and are thought to be harmless. But the truth is, they are not harmless. The University of Texas found that people who consume just three diet sodas per week were more than 40% more likely to be obese. The artificial sweeteners that are in diet sodas lead to hard-to-control food urges later in the day. 
Another study by Purdue found that rats who were fed artificial sweeteners prior to mealtime took in more calories. Every once in a while, drinking a diet soda is fine. But if you're having them on a regular and even daily basis, it's time to switch to water or green tea. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. And again, you can always ask your own question on my website, uh, loupaget.com. And <clears throat> I'm coming back to answer a question from the young woman who has just graduated and is realized that she, you know, would, you know, consider a career in human sexuality. First things first, to get your foot in the door anywhere, look around and see if there is a planned parenthood or a clinic that you can do volunteer work in. There is nothing that will be better for you than having the ability to talk to real people about this subject area. Now, where are you gonna get your education? Where are you gonna find information that, that's valid? First things first, make sure you have someone <coughs> who has um, who has some certification, who has some sexual health training. There are lots of people out there who are telling everybody, you know, I'm a sexpert, I'm a this, I'm, you know, and I'm looking at these people and I'm going, look, look, you are 23 years old. You don't have the life experience. You don't have the, you don't have a degree in this. You don't have anything. And you're trying to tell people all the things they're supposed to be doing. Sorry, which is also why many people think they can go and get information from porn sites or from, you know, adult material. Couldn't be further from the truth. I will say, though, <clears throat> that the adult industry has realized that they need to do a little more ship shape on their uh, business model because for those of them that have been relying on the women <clears throat> to bring in the clients to purchase their products. That's not the case anymore. No way. All with the internet, these women can all do their own things uh, and have their own clients, and not one cent of it has to go to any of the adult industry. That's That really upturned their little apple cart for sure. The other thing is that she wants to know which area she should be in. And, you know, and her being a virgin is, no, it's not hypocritical. It's just, that's, you know, she's, you know, that was, that's just sort of like her life plan at this point. There's plenty of people who are early 20s and virgins. They just don't talk about it very much. <clears throat> or people will try and say, oh, what's the matter with you? There isn't anything the matter. And she's, you know, she feels good about herself. She knows what she's you know, like to do. But if, if this were, you know, I will tell her contact 
some speakers bureaus at that that do because she's a communications you know communications area. Why not talk to speakers bureaus who do have people speaking at universities or colleges, and she could be on their circuit talking about you know being a Christian virgin against abstinence-only education. Be a bit of a you know be one of those things people go like, what? What's going on here? But what what I would like her to know is that this field of human sexuality, it's not an easy field to make a living in. It's, it can be a little more difficult than people realize at all. But if you are able to find someone who can mentor you, yes, maybe, you know, go back and do a master's. That's a possibility. But do a master's. There's only two places, three actually, where you can get a <clears throat> doctorate in human sexuality. And one of them where you can uh, is the um, what they refer to as the Institute, and it happens to be in uh, San Francisco. But even if you do get your DHS, a doctorate in human sexuality, you still will not be able to be paid on a PhD level at a college, you would still only um, be paid on a master's level because they don't recognize, the colleges don't recognize that degree. Main reason being because the guy who runs the whole thing has won't allow anyone to come in and do a proper vetting of his course schedule. Anyways, there's also Widener University, and that has a, you know, a PhD program as well. And then there's uh, another institute in Florida. But so there's not very many places where you can get a, you know, teaching degree in this. For many people, how they will go into it is they will do um, like a therapy, a master's in uh, family training, master's in this area. And then that is how they back into sexuality. But the there's sex ed or sex therapy is most times you are going to have to do a therapy and then therapeutic training and then add the sex in. Now, I'm not mad keen on therapy. Main reason, therapy always looks for something that's wrong. And many times it isn't anything that's wrong sexually. They just like her, they didn't have right information. They had information that was all screwed up. And <clears throat> if I, you know, for me, how I got into this is I was just, I wanted information about sex. And I turned to my gay friend, Brian, who gave me the best information. And then I started sharing it with others. And then people said, you've got to tell other people. I did not want to tell people I did this. I was like, are you kidding me? No way. And because I knew I was going to be judged, but apparently that doesn't never really bothered me, but I, it ended up literally taking on a life of its own. But the reason it did is because the information was so, it, it was so accurate. It wasn't, it, and it wasn't my information. That's the thing. I was just comfortable talking about it because I did have that hard sciences background. Now she has a communication background. But I would suggest, you know, that she can, you know, go and see if there is a 
uh, certification that she could do with, you know, the, um, the sexology university. She could do it online. That would be, you know, one place to look. Um, and she, that's Dr. Patty Britton. She and Robert, sadly, Robert died last year. But this is, um, they have a number of courses. It's online. You can, don't even have to be in, you know, the same country. They're all over the world. And <clears throat> that is one, probably the easiest option, because I don't know if she has the means or the ability to, you know, go and take a, a master's or a PhD. Because by the time these kids come out of there, they have so much freaking debt, it's just crazy. I would also ask her to go and check out some people who are your own age, you know, her own peers, and ask them the information they want. Because that is what, that's what I did. And people said, well, they wanted to know about this, they wanted to know about this. And I said, okay, I'll go and get the information for you. Um, like as I was talking about, you know, last week, one of the things, you know, when I talked about Joan Price and when her book, Naked, Out, Naked at Our Age, she was talking about this because she realized there really wasn't anything that really spoke to her own, to herself or her own peers that was in the area of, you know, what do we do if we're, you know, seniors? Who do we talk to? We have different issues. Well, so does every, you know, every peer group has their own forms of, of issues. But for her to know that she'd like to do this, that's a big thing to know at that age. And that she's, you know, willing to say, look, I think this, you know, and lots of people are absolutely fascinated with sexuality and sexual health. There's no question. The big thing is to make sure that you have the right information delivered. As she already found out with the abstinence only people, she was not being told what she needed to know at all. So just going back over for the show for today, talked about <clears throat> what I see as the future of marriage, what I see as future of family. And I think we got, we have some serious work to do in this area because right now the previous, you know, the previous sort of setup, it's quite a broken system and it really, the laws really haven't caught up. And, you know, when people, you know, are wanting to have a family, I have uh, my nephew is getting married and they want to have a family right away. One of the big things they're looking at is they can't afford to live where they're still living and have start a family. They're going to have to move out of, you know, the Vancouver area. Well, that's a shame. And, you know, but if they start a family, one of the big things they're going to need is support from family around them. And then they're going to be somewhere else. Then I talked about the Scott, whatever his name is, from the UK who said that his pain medications turned him gay. Mm, no, sorry, I don't think so. But it may have made him more open, which he did state. And it may have made him say, hey, you know what? I am adventuresome. I want to try this. And this is what I want to try now. So I would say for him, he's likely very naturally bisexual. And so be it. Have at it. Um, then I talked about when we talk about, you know, the future of families, 
we're going to have a whole range. We're going to have blended. We're going to have people who change the, you know, they, they, they don't like either of their surnames. So they get a brand new surname for everyone in the family. We've got people who will just, I probably, I really do think marriage is going to drop off as, you know, a number one driving force for people. Just as an example, married with children. Oh my goodness me. Here are these people. They say they've been vetted. They've been, they want to be married. They want to be in these relationships and my goodness me. And they have all the support there for them. And even then saying they do want to get married, they are interested in this. They make that leap of faith and they haven't, they have had a terrible track record with, you know, as of late, I, I even stopped watching it because it was, it was, it was too painful to watch these people be so angry with one another. So anyways, the thing for most people is the world is changing dramatically. How we go into relationships or stay in relationships is changing. We've got a really sick generation coming forward. I don't know how they're going to, you know, handle things. But as I said, I think that what we're going to really see a major focus on is people looking after their health more and getting rid of the toxic things in their world, in their food, their EMFs, in their shampoos that they put on their body, all of these things. So thank you for being with me today. We're coming down to our closing segment and I'm going to be answering that gentleman and letting him know that he needs to really, he needs to do, I've got my suggestions for him and I hope that they help him and it gives him, you know, a, a, a happier little heart. So have an awesome rest of the day, whatever you are doing. And here come the tunes and I will talk with you next week. Bye for now. for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget. 